Uh, we, Pastor Ira is going to be preaching today. He's got a great message. It really is just an awesome message. Um, I, I heard it this morning. Um, I'm up here because, not just because I want to introduce him, but there's something I want to share. And it's kind of a, a how we navigate um, in our times. Many of you know that I try to tackle current events to help our church be more equipped. I want to talk about social media. How many have ever typed something, hit go or send or submit, and you regretted it? Just put your hand up, right? There's a great coach. He's the coach. He used to coach the Eagles and longtime NFL player, uh, Herm Edwards. And he said, he always says, don't hit the submit button. <laughs> Just don't hit it. Sometimes we have, people have disagreements with each other, and they will start ranting about those other people on the social media. And what happens is you hurt yourself because you hurt your reputation, and you also don't do, you're not uh, resolving the relationship in the way that the Bible would tell you is a better way to go about it. Let me explain. The Bible says if your brother, if someone sins against you, what does it say to do? Can everyone say, go to him or go to her? Or go to them, right? Go to them. And the reason is, is because if they listen, let's say they listen, then you win them over. And, and it's good. It's a win-win. I'm sorry, I'm a big Office fan. I was thinking of win-win-win. Those, those of you who watch it know that episode. But um, the thing is, is if they don't, let's say they say, no, I, you know, it's not right. Then the Bible says, then get someone else who's a witness or someone who they would both respect and bring them to the table. Bring someone else and say, hey, can you listen to our arguments and to hear it? And it says, if they, if they listen, then you've won it over and you've seen that God is good and you didn't have to post it on Facebook. You didn't have to go, you know, that jerk, I can't believe it. Because most of the time in an argument, how many believe most of the time you're usually right? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand if you think you're not usually right. Come on, real high. The rest of you are liars. <laughs> you always go on there and go, I'm wrong. Listen, we normally think we're right. But that doesn't mean we're right. We could be wrong. And that's why you have to listen to what it is. Now, the third thing is it says if it doesn't resolve after the third thing, bring it to the life of the church. Hopefully, the church has put in place Elders or leaders that might be trustworthy have, have a, maybe a track record of proven faithfulness. And in sports or teacher in school, you know, maybe it was a teacher who has some longevity. Or in a coaching situation, you go, hey, this guy's coached for quite a while. Let's bring him and some of the staff involved so we can get a fair hearing. Now, there are so many relationships that don't do that. They just go, it goes, they try once and it doesn't work, then feelings are hurt. And the church, like myself, when I first came to Christ, usually we come hurting. How many have been hurt by relationships? Raise your hand. You've been hurt by a relationship. How many from like a parent or sibling relationship? Now we, do you believe that we bring this pain with us where we go? Like if you've been hurt in the workplace, let's say by a boss, you go to the new job and then you talk to the new boss, and he says something that reminds you of the old boss, and you go, you're a jerk just like the last guy was. And the thing is, is that we start to sabotage all our relationships. 
And also we make assumptions that the person isn't listening. One of the strongest things that Jody and I learned in our marriage is that scripture in 1 Corinthians, it says, love always hopes. Love always trusts. In other words, I'm going to trust that she's doing her best to try to get her heart right with me, even though I did a stupid thing and vice versa. Most of the time, it's me doing the stupid thing in our relationship. Okay, guys, can you relate to that? Yeah, every guy's going, yeah, I know, yeah, I'm stupid. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) And sometimes, listen, we get people, they get advice from us from a church, and we're trying, we are not a controlling church. I can promise you that we've never gone to your house and said, you sinned and you've done this. We, we, that's not our MO. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God can do that, and we're here to help impart truth and to shepherd and coach people along. Amen? Amen? And so if someone, but when someone comes from hurt relationships, sometimes they feel offended and they think, oh, this is what you're saying. We're saying, no, that's what we're saying. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them, and then they will go on Facebook, and you've had this in your own relationship, someone will say something. Now, as a church and as pastors and leaders, we're called to be examples. So we're not going to go back on Facebook and go, oh, yeah, how dare you say that? No, this didn't happen. You're a liar. We're not going to do that. Because one, our goal as pastors is to help mentor and heal people. Amen? Just like if you had a relationship with your kid or something like that and it's not going well and they're upset, you're not going to go, well, you are a jerk. You're going to try to be the parent and try to walk them through it, okay? But sometimes a season goes by and it's still hard for them to respond. And so the Bible says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. The reason it says that is so that Someone just says something against somebody, it doesn't just blow up. Now, how many say amen to that? So you don't entertain it. What entertain is if someone says, you know, someone comes to me even at church and they go, you know, I got this issue with that person. Can I tell you what I don't do is I don't entertain it. Because I'm not going to sit there and listen and go, this is what happened. I'd say, let's get the other person here. Then we can hear the whole thing on both sides. And my, my wife cracks up because someone will call me or talk to me about something. And when they tell me, I go, hold on a second. And they go, what are you doing? I go, I'm calling that other person. <laughs> Why? Because you'll get relief telling me and feel really good about it, but it won't get resolved. And I, and I can't sit and listen to what you have because then I'll participate in it. And I can't do that for your sake. Okay. Now, having said that, someone might say something about the church and it's true. Let's say we're not good at something. Let's say we did blow something. You know, uh, you know and for, for whatever reason, you know, uh, let's say I, you met me at the grocery store and I was in a bad mood and I looked at you and I said, just get out of my way. And you go, that pastor's a jerk. I can't believe he tries to act so loving on Sunday and I saw him at the Smith's grocery store. Now, this hasn't happened to me, but I'm trying to create a scenario. <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm always loving and Christ-like. I'm so Christ-like, a beard starts to form even spontaneously. No, I'm kidding. But let's, so let's say that really did happen. And so that person has a legitimate reason. Now, they can either go on Facebook and go, man, what a jerk that pastor was. And then the next church, they do the same thing, and they go, every pastor is a liar. Well, let me just tell you right now, every pastor is a hypocrite because the church is full of hypocrites. Amen? How many have ever been a hypocrite? Raise your hand. Huh? Confirmation. 
right? So don't ever let that slow you down from coming to church. I'm not coming to church because the hypocrites are there. There's always room for one more hypocrite. Come on in. All right? Now, I, I just want a summation as I pass this to Ira. Can you be careful? If someone has a legitimate reason something happened, and let's say they came to me and I didn't respond well, it was self-defensive or whatever, don't give up. The church is about resolving things, just like family is. So if something, if you and your brother have a squabble and he doesn't respond, you don't just write him off for 20 years. What you do is you go, let's get our cousin and get him involved or get a teacher, someone who's impartial, and then help resolve it until we have real love. Amen? Okay, I just wanted to share that because, um, just because I think it's important for us. Um, where is Ira? Right here. We are blessed to have Pastor Ira in our church. Do you know that? <laughs> Ira, Ira is a, a Messianic Jew who found Jesus Christ as, as the Messiah. And we're so glad to have him. Come on up, Ira. Ira Popper. Good morning. I just want to add one thing to that. Paul said that we are given a gospel of reconciliation to God and to people, and that's such an important thing, so I appreciate his words on that. Uh, today, uh, just as a Jew, as, as Eric's already told you, I'm Jewish, and I'm sure you can't tell what, whatsoever. <laughs> The kids' ministry leader today, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, pulled me aside and said, Hey, do you have any matzah? Do you know what matzah is? Do you have any matzah that we could use tomorrow in, in Sunday school? <laughs> I kinda, my reputation precedes me on this. But, uh, you know, as a, as a Jew, being encountered with Christ, I had a lot to lose. I really did. Uh, my whole family could have just owned me. I could, have, I could have been completely rejected uh, receiving Christ. And this scripture, we're talking about the, the power of the Gospels, which is, our, which is our sermon series. This scripture today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing from Luke chapter 4, is one that completely and utterly rocked my world. And when I thought of what I wanted to share and what I felt like the Lord was saying to share uh, with all of us uh, today, I felt like he said, share this. Let it rock their world too. And so I just invite you to be a part of this right now as we uh, talk about today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I'm just going to read it to you and then we'll pray. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Can you imagine? 
And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That word fulfilled, it, it has so much meaning with it, which we're going to look at, but it, 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 it talks about this scripture is being realized today. This scripture is being made complete in every way, in every particular today. It is being brought to pass today in your hearing. Let's pray. Lord God, we just come before you right now. We invite you to move and we invite you to speak to us. We thank you that your spirit is here. We have sensed your spirit. And now we choose to open our hearts to what you want to speak to us. Each person in this room today needs to hear you, needs to receive manna from heaven today, the bread of life today. And so we ask in Jesus' name that you would provide that. And Lord, that we would be open to it. Can you just open your heart to the Lord right now? Choose right now, just between you and the Lord, I choose to be open to what you speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus returned to Galilee. Now, this is an important contextual thing to see because where did he come from? He came from this great temptation in the Negev desert, right? Here he was being tempted by Satan. Who sent him there? the Holy Spirit. So if you think you're struggling, sometimes God brings you into times of struggle on purpose. Don't resist it. But do what Jesus did. He took the word of God and he fought it. He said, what did he say? It is written. He said, it is written. The word of God says, devil, I will have no other gods before me. None. It is written. So here, this is the context of Jesus now doing this next thing with the word of God as well. Do you think? He thinks the scripture is important. First, he uses it to defend his life. And now he's using it to say something that is up the utmost profundity for all eternity. The word of God in this context. He comes in the power of the spirit. And he, he teaches in synagogues. Now, a synagogue is, um, is not the temple. The temple is in Jerusalem. There's only one temple. There was ever only intended to be one temple. And there should be no temples outside of the place where God told them to build the temple. There is no other temple on earth ever that is legitimate except for the temple that God built. There is no temple right now in Jerusalem. So there is no God's temple right now, except for the fact that the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So that's the temple. That's where the presence of God resided in in a very literal way with the eternal flame and over the Ark of the Covenant with, with manna and the scriptures. It's an amazing thing. But the synagogues are little places in villages where people were able to go and they were able to read the scripture written on the Torah, which is a scroll that is, is uh, the, the Torah written on parchment and, uh, and, and read each and every week in the synagogues. 
and it would be, there would be commentary about it. Well, I think this is what God meant. I think that's how we should apply this. But Jesus did something very different. So Jesus went to the synagogue, and he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And here you can see the synagogue. This is called a bima. This is the place where the, the Torah, the scriptures, the Old Testament is kept. The Jews uh, are, are renowned for being very careful to make sure that this Bible that we have today is authentic. You know that, right? I'm not going to go into this detail right now, but you can get some research on this. But it is an extremely detailed process to be able to handwrite the Torah and to get it right. And if there's ever an error, that entire section needs to be thrown out and rewritten. So it's, it's a very careful process. It's kept in this bima, and then there's a curtain that separates it. It only uh, comes out when it's time to take out the Torah, the scriptures. And then, and, and this is what I remember as a child, is the Torah would be carried by someone who is given this great honor to hold the word of God. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> He's holding the word of God, and he now marches, parades the word of God around the people, around the sanctuary. And as it passes the people, they take their prayer shawl, which is around them for the Shabbat, the Sabbath service, and they take it and they kiss it, and then they kiss the word of God. Do you think the Israelis, the Jews, have a high regard for the scripture, the word of God? And that's what they would do. It would march around and everyone would squeeze to an aisle to be able to kiss the word of God. Not because they were worshiping it. They worship God but because they were revering that this is God's word. It's God's word. And this is how it would be read. It would be read on the bima. It would be unrolled. And first, it would be a a, a priest, a a Kohanite, that would read uh, from the first five books of Moses. And then secondly, what would be read is called the Haftorah, which is not Haftorah. It's the, it's the uh, continuation, which is the prophets. And uh, that is what I read for my bar mitzvah when I was 13. Girls get it at 12. It's a maturity issue. <laughs> but I did it at 13, and uh, I probably should have done it at 20. But <laughs> read, read that very first time, Come to that's a bar mitzvah. You come to the first time to be able to read the Haftorah. And I actually read uh, part of Isaiah as well as part of my Haftorah like, like uh, Jesus did here in Nazareth. So that's the way it would be. And the way, the way it was chosen, this is a, an order of service. The way it was chosen was you don't just choose your own scripture. Jesus didn't choose a scripture. It was chosen long ago. This is an order of service for the Shabbat, the Sabbath service. And uh, what scripture was prescribed for that day, that is what you read. And that is what Jesus wrote, read on that very day. So it wasn't by accident that he picked up the scripture. He knew exactly what he was doing. As a matter of fact, it's very clear. He was handed the book of Isaiah, and then he opened it to the place that he knew he was supposed to read, and then he read it. So this scripture is very profound for us. Can you imagine the King of kings and Lord of lords? Here he is. 
in his hometown, and he is about ready to proclaim something that will radically change us for eternity. And here he is. So the first point is, today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What a great thing to hear, isn't it? Oh, can you imagine the hearts of those that were longing for the Messiah, longing for the Messiah to come? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know, uh, the Bible and God are seen as obsolete. Stories, fables, myths, so old. How does it relate to today? Let me give you an example. Cynthia and I, we went on a a mission trip with a a team to Scotland many years ago. And uh, I brought this brand new shiny blue leather Bible. Really nice Bible. Now, if you know anything about the Scottish, they are frugal. We have any Scots here? Yeah, is that true? They're frugal, which is a good thing. And, And so what happened next shocked me. Because we were in this city square, and I put this beautiful, shiny, brand new, it looked expensive, it has gold leaf and everything, right? And it's sitting on a wall, it, it looks like it was purposely placed, it's sitting there, and I go to talk with some people about Jesus and to do some organization, and I come back, my Bible's gone. Where is my Bible? And I thought, somebody stole it because they saw how pretty it looked. <laughs> But no, I found out later that the janitor had thrown it in the trash because I guess he couldn't find any value in this beautiful, shiny Bible or the words that it contained. Another thing about Scotland is if you go there, you'd see, and you know, it's a post-Christian nation, very much like our nation has become. And, and so what happens is uh, relics... That, that are not seen as important anymore get changed. You know, you might as well recycle them, right? So they were recycling churches. Nobody was in them. There seemed to be no life there. The people weren't there worshiping God. So they recycled them, and they made them into discos and furniture stores, clothing stores, whatever there was. They would do that. This is the society that we live in. This is the society that we live in. But God is a God of today. He is not obsolete. Do you guys agree? He is not obsolete, and his word is not obsolete. It is for today. This is not, God is not dead. Amen? Amen. Today, God wants to speak. Today. What does it say in the word? It says, So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Today, today. Do you think that today was meant for us? Absolutely. Just as Jesus was saying, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He is speaking to us today. I want to fulfill my promises in your hearing, in my hearing. Today is being 
identified as something completely different. Today, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, after being read for over 600 years in Jesus' presence, is being spoken in a completely and utterly new and unique way today. Today, he went to his home synagogue. Today, he stood to read. Today, he was handed the scroll. Today, he turned to the prescribed reading in the Haftorah. Today, Jesus read the prophetic words written over 600 years ago. God is the same yesterday. What? Today Today and forever. He is the God of eternity, but he is also the God of today. Of today. He wants to bring transformation in your life. Not yesterday, not 2,000 years ago. Today. He has sovereign intervention in our lives. Have you noticed that? Have you been surprised by him sometimes? Because he will surprise you. He will. His fulfilled promises. He can burst into our lives like nothing else. I remember when I came to faith in Christ, it was like an explosion. Like, where did that come from? Here I was, a Jew, and I had grown up. I had had my bar mitzvah. I had never heard of Jesus Christ, except for maybe six months of, of, of hearing people talk about him and me reading about these prophecies, the one that is written right here even. And then God just decides to answer this promise in my life. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in my hearing. That's what he wants to do to you. I totally believe that. God bursts into our lives. It says, from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. I tell you, God wants to burst into your life today. He is not a God of 2,000 years ago. He is a God of today. Do you believe that? God wants to move in your life today. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Why? Because today, God is a God of today. And he wants to move in our lives. This today is for us. Shocking burst of the glory of God in our life today. That is God's plan for us. Now we come, yeah, I'm excited about that. Now we come to what made this so exciting to me, so very different for really all eternity for me, but for all of us in this scripture. Jesus' proclamation. Jesus did not comment on this scripture in Isaiah 61. He proclaimed it. He proclaimed it to be true and forever changed our lives. So I'm going to get to point number two now, which is today this scripture is fulfilled. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture is fulfilled. What scripture? 
this scripture is fulfilled. What's the scripture? Let's read it together. Can we all read it together? All right. The Spirit of the Lord. Ready? Wait. Start over. (laughs) We're not so good at this. We don't do this that often. Ready? The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Clearly, clearly, there is no dispute. This scripture is messianic. This scripture has to do with the Messiah, the anointed one that was to come to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness of sins. I'm not talking about Christians thinking this. There weren't any Christians yet. I'm talking about Jews realizing in the year 33 or whenever that was, right, right around there, that this is the word of God and that he wants to do something very powerfully and it is, it is messianic. This is what the scriptures say in the New Testament about, about the gospel. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Do you think the Jews of the day were getting the point? I think they were. The power of the Gospels is that it promised, the promises that were made hundreds of years earlier are fulfilled in Christ. That's the power of the Gospels. Christianity is not a new religion. It's an old religion that has all its promises answered. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen? That's what it's about. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Come on, think about the picture, you guys. Think about the picture. Is this gigantic historic mural for thousands of years that God is building to proclaim his love and his redemption to us, buying us back from the slavery that we are under in sin. And in the scriptures, this is predicted. In the scriptures, in the prophets, in the law, which is the Torah, it is spoken of over and over and time again. God says, don't worry. This is going to happen. And it does. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. All the prophets testify about him. Now, righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and what? The prophets testify. This is the New Testament. This is the Jews of the day saying, this is what it's about. How very clear it is. And Jesus affirmed it. On the road to Emmaus, he, con- he confirmed it. He spoke to these disciples after his resurrection. Matter of fact, the second time in the book of Luke where this word fulfilled is used, is, is the, for the first is in our scripture today, the second is in, in, in the end of the book of Luke where, where Jesus is opening the eyes of these Jews and saying, these scriptures are fulfilled 
in your hearing. What the law and the prophets say. What was fulfilled? What was fulfilled? Well, first of all, we see that Jesus was qualified for the work that he was called to do. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Then he was commissioned. It says that he was anointed, that God had anointed him to do this. He was called to do this. For what? To proclaim what? The good news. The good news. Guess what? Good news isn't a New Testament phrase. It was written 600 years before. Good news. Jesus Christ, through God, in the Old Testament, has been speaking good news for thousands of years. As a Jew, I tell you that I had a lot to lose. And it's not just me. We have a lot to lose if the word of God is not the word of God. But it is. The good news has been spoken for thousands of years in the word of God. And what has he done? He's brought good news to the poor. Freedom for those in prison. That's spiritual and physical freedom. God wants to set people free. Today, God wants to set people free. There might be some people here today that desperately need to be set free from depression, fear, anxiety, addiction. Today is the day. Today is the day. Recovery of sight for the blind. Oh, we need to be able to see. The worst thing is to be blind and not see truth and to think that you know it when you don't. God wants to bring recovery of sight to those who are blind. And then the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. This reflects on the year of Jubilee that was written about in the Old Testament. The year of Jubilee was every 50 years. Every 50 years, fantastic things would happen. The first was there would be a rest from work, similar to early in the desert, the Jews were told that they did not have to pick manna, which was the only food available to them. It was a divine food provided to them by God. They picked it for eight day, for seven day, six days. I got the number right. Six days, and then... Because of the Sabbath, they were told not to pick it, and they would have enough from the sixth day. A divine greatness would happen, and it would be enough for that extra day. And so now, it was an entire year. An entire year was a rest from work. Aren't you glad that the gospel is a rest from our works? What an amazing thing it is. And that's what Jesus Christ is bringing in the year of the Lord's favor. The next thing is, is that a, a, a bringing back of alienated property. So let's say you become poor and you have to give up your property that is yours by birthright. And so you sell it. At the 50th year, that property comes back to you. And that is what God is doing for us. But it's so much more profound than just a piece of dirt. It is the inheritance that God has given us, our relationship with God. (laughs) Our relationship with God himself, he has given back to us this great inheritance from God, the year of God's favor. And the last is a restoration of freedom. 
that those that had sold themselves into slavery because of their poverty, because of their circumstances, were now set free in the name of Jesus. And we are set free. God wants to be freedom. This is a place where people can be set free. Amen? Amen? This scripture is fulfilled. This scripture. It wasn't just this scripture. It was scripture is fulfilled. God breathed words and promises. All scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. And this scripture is fulfilled. Fulfilled. What are the implications of this? Isaiah 61 had been read on numerous occasions before, but it had never been read as it was that day because there was something more than Scripture being read. It was Scripture fulfilled. Scripture fulfilled. What are the ramifications of Jesus Christ being the fulfiller of the Scripture? They are profound. Matthew Henry, a great commentator, said that what Jesus was saying here, and he, he, he kind of... Uh, elaborates a little in in what he's saying is this, so he's talking in, in the first person like Jesus, this which Isaiah wrote by way of prophecy, I have now read to you by way of history. Amen? This is the word of God. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. This is what this whole sermon's about, you guys. The promises of God are yes in Christ. So through him, the amen is spoken to us, to the glory of God. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is our yes from God. He's our yes from God. I love this slide. I put it together. He's our yes from God. I didn't look at it this way before, but I really wanted to see it because I had a lot of fun with it. He is our yes from God. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. Glory to God. Glory to God. And that's what he's trying to say here. In Luke chapter 4, the ramifications of Scripture being fulfilled is that Scripture is not just some nice thing that was written. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is not inspirational only. It is God-breathed from the mouth of God and perfect. Being able to give life by God's grace. I just want to talk about this for a minute because it had immense ramifications for me when I, when I read Luke chapter 4 and when I looked at the prophecies of Jesus, the Messiah, and saw them, it had gigantic ramifications for me in my life. Enough to be able to just leave everything and, and a wonderful family and, and say, you know what? I need to put Christ first <laughs> regardless of what happens. And let me tell you, it wasn't pretty for about a year. It was pretty desperate in my house. My family was furious. And I almost, you know, in in a Jewish home, when this happens, it's very customary for there there to be a funeral for the person who comes to faith in Christ. 
So Jesus fulfilled not just this prophecy, but he fulfilled over 60 prophecies in the Old Testament, and there's 300 references to the Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies. There are some objections to this. The first objection is that it's manipulation, that Jesus kind of manipulated the situation in order to make these prophecies happen. Well, that first of all presumes that Jesus is a liar and the rest of his life does not bear that out. But also beyond that, how could he control events? How could he control his birth? How could he control the way he died? He couldn't have. He also couldn't control the responses that people had to him the anger that was shown to him, the rejection that was shown, the way the Pharisees acted, the way John the Baptist proclaimed who he was. He couldn't have controlled that. It happened. So manipulation, very quickly, there's much greater arguments than I can give right now, and Eric would do a better job on it, but I think it's important. The other is an accident or a coincidence. If you take just the key prophecies... These eight key prophecies. And first is the place of his birth, Bethlehem. Next, preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist. Next, entering Jerusalem on a donkey. Betrayal by Judas. Sold for 30 pieces of silver. Money thrown into the temple and given for the potter's field. Silent before his accusers. Crucified with thieves. Hands and feet pierced. These are just eight of 60 key prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life and in his death. If you take those eight prophecies and you try to figure out a person that could have fulfilled this in their own strength from that point in time for 2,000 years up till now, so giving 2,000 years worth of time to try to find somebody to do it, The probability of it, according to Josh McDowell and his research, it's a great book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's a big number, you guys. I just want to give you an example of how big it is, all right? So here we have the state of Texas. How many Texans we have? All right, you're supposed to scream out. Texans are usually more excited. What are you, depressed? (laughs) Usually you hear a big, woohoo! Here's the state of Texas, all right? Texas has 268,581 square miles. There is 27,874,400,000 square feet in a mile, okay? There is 7,289,781,484,000 square feet in Texas. Now you take those 7 trillion square feet and you fill them two feet high with half dollars. All right? You got the picture now. 7 trillion of these square feet. Two feet high. And then you take one and you mark it and then you throw it in the middle and then you mix it all up and then you blindfold someone. Well, blindfold them first. Right? blindfold them, and tell them they have one chance to go find that single coin, that is the probability of someone being able to fulfill these prophecies without miraculous intervention. You think that's crazy? 48 of the key prophecies, it's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's a big number. 
So for the eight prophecies, it's called a septicillion. Don't say I didn't teach you anything today. <laughs> septicillion. It's a big deal to believe the word of God. It is a big deal to believe the word of God. It is your ultimate authority. That's what the Bible says it is. If you're going to believe that today this scripture fulfilled in your hearing and all these scriptures are fulfilled and the word of God is divinely inspired, then it's a big deal. It has great ramifications for us. Ultimate authority in our lives. Believe it even when things look different. How many of you had some circumstances in your life and you think, man, this really stinks. I don't know if God's going to come through. And then you remember the word of God. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called and calling his purpose. How many have used that scripture to hold on to? Yeah, that's a great one, you guys. Use it. But it's so easy to see in our circumstances that They don't coincide necessarily with the word of God, but which is true? Which is really true? The word of God. Our circumstances will eventually fall into line under the word of God. That means our current thought about life, our current social issues, our current social um, things that we're looking at in this country will fall in line under the word of God, and we will know what's true and we will know it's not. It's our ultimate authority. It's trustworthy. The word of God is trustworthy. Think about the probability of it not being trustworthy just based on these scriptures that I've shared with you. We're going to close right now. So the last part is number three. Is this number three? Yeah. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Your hearing. It was fulfilled 2,000 years ago, but guess what? God wants to fulfill it in your hearing today. Do you believe that? Your hearing. Jesus did not just fulfill his prophecy. He did it on a day called today. And in the presence of those he knew and loved. Do you hear God today? Is God speaking to you right now? Because that is his intention. He loves to speak to us. Just as he stood up and Isaiah 61, which had been read for hundreds of years, a certain way was now completely and utterly fulfilled in the words of Christ. So your life right now and the issues that you face the struggles that you're in, God wants to bring healing and wholeness. Some of you today, you, you might need to ask Jesus to be your savior. There's a, there's a blockage between us and God. That's why we have the cross. The cross took away our sin. He just didn't throw it away. Jesus bore our sin so that we can now have forgiveness and enter into a relationship with God. Maybe that's you. Maybe you are someone who been away from God and you, you, you want to rededicate your heart to the Lord. Or maybe you're a prisoner that God wants to set free. Maybe you, you're in depression. You're struggling with addiction or anger or so many other things. 
Do you hear God today? God is speaking. Jesus said, blessed are your eyes because you see and your ears because they hear. And that is my prayer for you right now is that you would hear. You would hear God for yourself right now. Many years ago, Cynthia and I went on a trip to this little town in France, in the south of France, called Ez. It was on a cliff. It was over 2,000 years old, this town. It was a teeny little town. The roads were about as wide as the podium is. That's how wide the roads were, because there were nothing to, like a horse can go down. That's about it. And we, we went into this teeny little store. It was completely old. I mean, just just old, carved out of stone, basically. And we went into this cute little store, and we saw this tapestry, and we fell in love with it. It was a tapestry of the Last Supper. And uh, we wanted to buy it, and they said, oh, you can't buy it, but you can order it. And we thought, yeah, right, we're going to order something and give you all this money in this dinky little town, 2,000-year-old town. There's no, I mean, what kind of promise are we going to have of this, you know? And so they gave us this handwritten receipt, and we took it home, and we waited, and we waited. I got a little impatient, so there was a handwritten phone number. I called it. Oh, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. We remember you. And I thought to myself, sure, this is never going to happen. This is never going to happen. This receipt is worthless. And then one day, a box came to our house, and we thought, what is this? We had forgotten about it. It was, I think, over a year and a half. (laughs) I'm serious. (laughs) And we opened it up, and there was the promise of our receipt, this tapestry. The receipt is the word of God. It is our promise. God keeps his promises. This is the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel. Can we have the base camp team come forward and we're going to close our eyes and just spend a minute before him responding. Lord God, we love you. We love you. Thank you that the power of gospel is that you keep your promises. And Lord, there's a lot of people here that need you to speak to them about your promises for their life. There are some people here that that want to, for the very first time, say yes to a God that loves them this much that would die on the cross to forgive their sins so that they can have the all these promises be yes and amen in Christ for them. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to just raise your hand if you want to give your heart to Christ or, or you're returning to Christ. You've been away and, and, and you, you want to say yes to God again. Just raise your hand right now. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. 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 God wants to work in your life. He wants to save you and heal you. I want to encourage you. This base camp team is here for, to pray with you. They want to pray with you, not, not to tell you anything, but just to partner with you in this decision that you're making. And now for the rest of us, I just want to ask, is there something that you need God's promise to become real for in your life today? Just raise your hand if there is. That's right. That's right. Amen. Lord, we just pray right now. People's hands are raised all over, Lord, that you would just minister. 
are the yes and amen in Christ. And we pray, God, that today, today is the day that your promise would be fulfilled in their hearing. Lord, we're not talking about a prosperity doctrine here. We're talking about the kingdom of God coming in our hearts, being set free, being made whole, being healed. Lord, you want to bring healing. I just sense that there are several people here that, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you've had suicidal thoughts. Maybe, maybe, uh, I don't think you've had attempts, but you have had suicidal thoughts where, where you've thought, I just wish I were dead. And in the name of Christ, we just come against that lie and ask that the truth would be revealed, that Jesus Christ is a life, and you can have that life, you can have that healing and wholeness. I just sense that there's some people here also that have had ongoing illnesses that God wants to bring healing in. And I just want to encourage you to come forward after and get prayer. The people that are up here are not by accident. There are people that have the gifts of praying for people, for healing and miracles. And so I pray that you would come forward. I ask that you would come forward and receive healing. God wants to answer these prayers. Do you guys believe that? Lord, we give this all to you, and we thank you that you are the God who answers our prayers. You are the one who keeps his promises for an eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Can we thank the Lord for his promises? Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Please come forward for prayer.